there, this is Jen Wade, part of the core team here at Springs Church. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us and listening to our podcast. We are praying that it encourages you and it inspires you. And if you'd like to find out more about Springs Church, please visit our website, springschurch.co.uk. Here's today's message. Mother's Day. It's, uh, it's lovely to be with you. Um, my name's John. I'm one of the, uh, the pastors here at Springs. And uh, it's just really lovely to, uh, to be able to speak to you on this, uh, on this Mother's Day. I also just think that uh, we've just actually had a real special time in the last 10 minutes or so. Um, I'm sure you felt the same as I did. It was just a thick, heavy, tangible sense of the peace of the Holy Spirit that just fell on the meeting. And uh, those times are really precious, and it's important that we don't move away uh, too quickly from those precious moments when God's just ministering. And uh, I'm sure God's already spoken to you uh, this evening in, in many, uh, many ways. Uh, but to- tonight, what I want to share with you are uh, some thoughts, actually, about uh, Mother's Day. And uh, in particular, I want to look at some... Um, some mothers in the Bible and their, uh, their experiences of motherhood. Uh, this was not the sermon that we were going to get two hours ago. Uh, there was a completely different sermon. As you know, we're, uh, we're going through, well, we just started a season on the Ten Commandments. And uh, it just didn't feel appropriate to speak tonight on Mother's Day about taking the name of the Lord in vain. So we're going to do that in a few weeks' time. Uh, but I just felt that this was the, the right message to bring. So I just hope God really speaks uh, through these really, really simple Bible stories that we're going to look at. I think it's a great thing to uh, really celebrate moms and motherhood. Um, it was originally uh, an American idea, uh, so one or two good things must have come out of America. Uh, but Mothering Sunday is a fairly new uh, institution, it's about 100 years old, something like that. So not in the Bible, you won't find Mother's Day in the Bible. Uh, but one thing I'm absolutely uh, convinced about is that God approves of us rejoicing, celebrating, and honouring our moms. I'm sure that's something that he thinks is a really great idea. Uh, but as I was preparing, I'm also really conscious that Mother's Day can be an incredibly difficult day for, for many people. For many of us, um, I know that going, you know, too personally, that there are people here that this is the first Mother's Day that have had their mom, um, and that's really raw. But also, a really good friend of mine this morning uh, posted a message on on Facebook, which really, really hit hard because she put on, "This is my 43rd Mother's Day." without my mom being present. And it hurts just as much today as it's ever hurt. And every single day, I still think about your mom. And that just really spoke to me that, that we, we can kind of gloss over um, pain and suffering, suffering. But it's real. It's real. Uh, and uh, Mother's Day can be very difficult. Speaking incredibly personally, uh, I think nearly all of you are aware that uh, that my mum is in a care home, 120 miles away, suffering with such bad dementia that I don't think she actually knows who she is, let alone who I am or my sister. Uh, 
and that brings unbelievable pain in a different way. It's like losing your mom before she's passed, it's like grieving before she's gone. It's really difficult, and I'm sure, I know I'm not the only one uh, to go through that. Carol's mom was in a care home in Bagridge, uh, mentally as sound as a pound, physically really quite struggling. And uh, our plans today were to go and have uh, Mother's Day with her. Uh, the care home contacted us yesterday and said, you can't come, there's an outbreak of uh, sickness and diarrhea and dysentery and goodness knows what else going on there. Uh, so we went over to visit mom today uh, and, and share that with her. Uh, luckily we had, um, we had managed to get a card and some chocolates to her before the, uh, the, the care home closed. So if we are allowed to go tomorrow, uh, the one thing we can guarantee is that we will never know whether those chocolates found the way there. Because if they did, they will all be gone by this time tomorrow, I can guarantee that. Uh, Carl's mom certainly got a really healthy appetite when it comes to chocolates. Um, but difficult, you know, Mother's Day is actually quite difficult for us. Um, but that doesn't stop us thinking back to the people our moms were, to what they still mean to us, and being so grateful for the moms that we have and that we had. We also nowadays, I believe through social media, get a really um, idealised image of motherhood. You know, if you, it seems that, that moms in particular, perhaps it's right, but, but they're kind of looked at through rose-tinted spectacles. And if you, if you look at social media, absolutely everybody's mom was the very best mom that ever existed. Now, I think that's probably quite right, cause, but, but everybody else has done it wrong, because my mom was actually the best. But you know what I mean? It, it, it seems almost that everybody's talking about, oh, my mom's you know, the best mom, the best cook, uh, the best grandma, my best friend, you know, all of these things. People don't ever seem to post very much uh, on social media and say, I'll tell you what, my mom was pretty rubbish. She was a dreadful cook, she couldn't, you know, she burnt, you, know, you get none of that. It's always this kind of very sanitised version. And, and people feel inferior if their lives don't match up to the standards that are portrayed, even though they realise in their heads that actually this is just a, a snapshot, it's not the reality of everybody's life. But nevertheless, there's huge inferiority complexes around <coughs> these types of issues. So what I want to do uh, this evening is just to share with you three uh, stories, three examples from, from, Bible, from the Old Testament part of the Bible of moms who actually had really tough experiences of being mothers. Uh, three ladies that you'll all have heard of, particularly uh, two of them are very kind of famous characters, um, that actually struggled as mothers. And I think that, that this hopefully is not going to be uh, a negative uh, message at all, but hopefully a really encouraging message, uh, which will help us to all realise that, that absolutely not one of us lives in a perfect family. Not one of us has the absolute ideal relationship with our, with our siblings and with our parents or with our kids. Uh, but actually, the Bible, it seems to me, talks far more about families that have problems than families that are pretty well perfect. In fact, there aren't many stories I can think of of kind of the ideal family with 2.4 kids and you know that all were, were always one 
just be well behaved, etc., etc. I don't think the Bible's got any stories like that, but the Bible's got loads of stories about families that, quite frankly, were pretty shocking. Um, so, the first one we're going to look at is, is this is really, really easy. This is the most basic kind of Sunday school type of question you can have. Who was the very first mom in the Bible? Eve. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's the correct answer. It's really easy. Really, really easy. Eve was the first mom in the Bible. Now, Eve is, is kind of well known for the, the story of uh, what's called the fall of man. Eve is known uh, for, for being tempted uh, and taking uh, an apple and eating of the tree, the fruit of the tree that was forbidden, and that's how the Bible explains sin entering the world. That's right at the very beginning of the Bible. But we only have to get to Genesis chapter 4, just the fourth book of the Bible, when we actually read the story of Cain and Abel. So Cain, Cain and Abel were Eve's two sons. <coughs> now Cain was Abel's elder brother. Abel was known as a, the Bible calls him a keeper of sheep. He doesn't call him a shepherd, he actually says he's a keeper of sheep. That implies to me that not only did he shepherd the sheep, but he actually owned the sheep. Okay? I think so. And, and Cain was a worker of the ground. Perhaps an arable farm, I think, is the way that we, we put it. So the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 4 that, that both of these brothers brought an offering to God. Cain, we're told, brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. That's all the Bible has to say about Cain's offering. <laughs> and it tells us that Abel brought an offering, but Abel's offering was of the firstborn of his flock. And also, the Bible tells us that Abel brought the fat portions. Now, I don't know about you, but when I eat meat, I don't actually like the fatty portions. I like lean meat. But in, in biblical terms, particularly when it came to sacrifices, the choice cuts were the fatty portions. That was the very best that you could do. So Abel brought of his absolute <coughs> to God the choicest cuts, uh, the best thing he could do of his firstborn uh, of his flock. Where Cain just brought something. We don't know what, <coughs> but I think it's fair to surmise that Cain's offering was probably, you know, the scrubby windfall apples or something like that. Because the Bible says this: it says God had regard for Abel's offering, but he had no regard for Cain's offering. In other words, I think Cain's offering was probably second best. You know, it wasn't really of his very best. Now, the Bible makes it quite clear that God wasn't particularly upset with Cain over this. You know, he didn't chastise him, he didn't rebuke him, he didn't say this is appalling, how dare you bring such a dreadful offering to him. Basically, what God says in, in the Bible, you can read this, He's pretty much he speaks to Cain and he says, Look, don't worry. If you do well in the future, you, you'll still be accepted. You know, so God didn't throw Cain out in any way whatsoever. But Cain couldn't stand the fact that his offering wasn't accepted by God. And as soon as he got the opportunity, he went out and he killed his brother Abel. The first murder in the Bible in the fourth chapter of the Bible. Now, we know the story of Cain and Abel as a, as a kind of old Bible story. 
And there's actually a very famous uh, verse in the story where God says to Cain, you know, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, and, and you may have heard messages about that, and, and, and it's quite a powerful statement that, that, could, that can be unpacked at a different time. But what we don't very often do is think of the impact, because the Bible doesn't tell us this, think of the impact that this event must have had on Eve. We don't, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. So it's kind of easy to gloss over the story, an interesting story, the first murder, you know, this, that, and the other. But Eve knew the pain of losing a child. And even worse than that, she knew that he'd been murdered. And even worse than that, she knew that he'd been murdered by his brother. So she effectively lost two sons in one go. Actually, Cain was exiled as a result of what he did. And when you think about it, as a parent, I was, I was thinking about this, and thinking, it probably doesn't get much worse than that. I, I don't think that you can think of anything of a, as a parent that could be worse than one of your kids murdering one of the other ones. I, you know, I can't think of any examples of anything much worse than that. So, Eve's suffering was absolutely as great as it possibly could be. We don't really read much about that, but that must just be the case. So, as I was thinking about this story, and I don't know the personal circumstances here at all, but I don't know if anyone here has possibly suffered the loss of a child, perhaps gone through a miscarriage, I don't know. I also don't know if you may be suffering because your family's at war. You might paint a really great picture of family life, things on the surface may appear really rosy. People might envy you and look at you and think, wow, what a great example of a lovely family. But you know, behind closed doors, that there's real strife in your family. Now, I'm not talking about the everyday squabbles, fallouts, fights that siblings have with each other. Um, you know, siblings are meant to squabble and fight and, and bicker, I think. You know, if you're not doing that, well, you're not really kind of a very well-formed family in one sense. I'm talking about family-splitting disagreements. Fallouts within the family that are actually just so raw and so painful. And the first thing I want to say to you today is that God blessed Eve regardless of what had gone on. And no matter what you may be going through, God wants to bless you as well. In Genesis 4.25, I think it is, we, we know that Eve knew what had happened because the Bible tells us that, that she lay with Adam again and had another son called Seth. And Eve actually said, God's appointed me a new son because my son Cain has murdered my son Abel. And I'm sure that that must have been you know, some sense of comfort. You can't replace the son that you've lost, obviously. But God saw Eve, he obviously saw what she was going through. And he blessed her again. And, and just really simply today, I want to say to start with, that if you are suffering because of stuff going on in your family, 
God wants to bless you too. God knows and he really wants to speak into your family and he wants to intercede and he wants to intervene and he wants to bless you. So that's the story of Eve. The second one that I want to look at is a lady called Rebecca. Now, you find Rebecca also in Genesis, in the Old Testament part of the, uh, the Bible. I'm not going to ask you any more Christian questions, I'll tell you just in case you don't know. But Rebecca was Isaac's wife. So this is again right at the beginning of the story of, of God's dealing with his people. Isaac was the, the son of Abraham. Isaac was the, the son that Abraham was prepared to sacrifice. And uh, we don't have time to concentrate on the amazing way that Isaac got together with his wife, Rebecca. But the Bible tells us that, that it was really, really important that Isaac had to marry uh, a lady uh, from the right background. Uh, they were living in a strange land and Abraham was desperate that, that Isaac shouldn't marry a kind of local girl. So the story goes that I, uh, Abraham sent his servant to, to get a wife uh, for Isaac and the servant went out. He saw this absolutely gorgeous, beautiful young woman uh, and he prayed to God and said, is this the one? And, and there, was a, there was a story about how uh, she offered water to him and, and his camels, etc. He'd know it was the right one. And then miraculously, kind of God interceded. And Rebecca was obedient. And, and Rebecca went back. She wouldn't even stay with her own family. Uh, she, she was desperate to get back because she knew that God was speaking. And therefore, the reason I'm saying this, and just giving you a little bit of the story is, that there's absolutely no doubt that Rebecca was the person that God chose, that God planned to marry Isaac. If you like, it was a marriage literally made in heaven. There's no doubt, the Bible makes it absolutely 100% clear that Rebecca was the person, was the lady that God had chosen to marry Isaac. That's really quite important. And it's important for this reason the family of Isaac and Rebecca was totally dysfunctional. Let me tell you why. It took Rebecca quite a time uh, to conceive, possibly up to 20 years before she, she conceived. So it took her a while, but eventually she fell pregnant with twins. And while she was pregnant, God himself spoke to Rebecca and he told her a few things. He told Rebecca that she was going to be the mother of two nations. He told Rebecca uh, that one of the, uh, the twins would be stronger than the other. And he also told her very specifically that the older would serve the younger. So God told her this while she was pregnant, before she gave birth. Then in the fullness of time, Rebecca gave birth to two twins. Their names were Esau and Jacob. Okay? I'm sure most of you know all of this, but it's still really relevant. Because Esau was the firstborn, the, the biggest, the strongest man. The Bible tells us that he was a red-haired man, a, a big bloke. And this Esau was a hunter. He was a man's man. He was described as a man of the field. He liked the outdoor life. He liked hunting, he liked fishing, he liked shooting. No, they didn't have guns in those days. But nevertheless, he liked being outside. He was a type of man's man. Jacob 
the other two. As he was born, he came out clinging to his elder brother's heel. The Bible tells us that. He was grasping on from the earliest of ages. Jacob was a, was a smooth-haired man. He was an academic man. He was a quiet man. He probably didn't like going out in the sunlight. You know, he liked to dwell in tents, the Bible tells us. He was quite studious. Uh, but he was also quite devious. The Bible makes it really, really clear. And yet, for whatever reason, God had decided that it was Jacob's line that he was going to especially bless. Now, we probably wouldn't have chosen Jacob. He wasn't really that nice a character. He got lots of deep personality flaws. But for whatever reason, God had anointed Jacob. And he was going to be the man that God blessed. Genesis 25, 28 tells us this. It says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of the game that, that, that Esau got for him. And then it says, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So you've got this family, undoubtedly where the man and the woman have been put together. It was a godly union. It was exactly part of God's plan. They have these twins. Uh, couldn't be more different than each other. And you've suddenly got a family where the dad desperately loved his eldest son and the mom desperately loves the youngest son. That's pretty dysfunctional to start with, isn't it? You've kind of got the beginnings of a family at war. The story then goes on, again, I'm sure you'll know that, that Jacob schemed and plotted and for the sake of a, of a bowl of food, he tricked and twisted his brother, his elder brother, out of his brother's birthright. Esau should have inherited everything that Isaac had, but Jacob managed to trick him out of that. And then Rebecca gets involved, and she deviously schemes with Jacob to get the blessing, not only the birthright and the inheritance, but also the blessing, and the blessing was incredibly important. Again, we haven't got time to go into the story. I'm sure, you know, if you've been to Sunday school, you'll know the story, but, but basically, Rebecca uh, dressed Jacob in, in Esau's clothes. Uh, she killed a goat and, and put it on his arms so he'd feel very hairy because his, his dad was blind at the time. Uh, so he, he smelt like Esau. He, he, he felt like Esau. He didn't sound like Esau, but nevertheless, with Rebecca's help, Esau was swindled out of his dad's blessing. So you've got this family. The brothers that are then at war because of what's happened. Esau's trying to kill Jacob. Jacob has to run away. Rebecca struggled with favoritism. She was deceitful. Goodness only knows what this impact this had on Isaac and Rebecca's relationship. You know, you wouldn't be very pleased if you were Isaac and your wife had swindled your eldest son, your favourite son, out of the blessing that he was entitled to. Now, I, I, I kind of struggle a little bit with this, but when I, when I was thinking about this story, I wondered if you possibly struggled with favouritism in your family. When, when I was brought up, I, I've got a younger sister, and my, my parents always said, we're always going to treat you exactly equal. We're always going to give you both the same, 
And that was almost a mantra as I was growing up, that the mum and dad were, were kind of desperate that, that they would favour one over the other. But being really blunt and personal, in the later years, it didn't always feel as if they kind of stuck to that. And I think that there are probably many people here who, if they're honest, have some feelings of, of envy or jealousy towards their siblings. They do perhaps feel, rightly or wrongly, that their parents possibly favoured someone other than them. Um, it can be really, really painful. And I know of other families where this is far more significant. I can't imagine what it must be like to have two kids and to love one far more than the other. But that is so dysfunctional. But it's so real. And, and there could be people here that have experienced these type of emotions. And actually, they feel really ashamed as a result of, of what's kind of behind the closed doors of their family life. I just want to say that God's plans are so much greater than anything we can comprehend. As I said, it was so important for you to realise that, that Isaac and Rebecca were absolutely meant to be together. It was absolutely part of God's plan. He knew that they were going to end up being a dysfunctional family. He knew what was going to happen. God chose to, to bless Jacob beyond anything that we would do. We would think he's absolutely the wrong type of person. How can you bless somebody like that when they're deceitful and they're dishonest? But God knows better than us. And I just want to say today, if you're honest with yourself and you feel that there is a certain amount of dysfunction in your family, it could still be that it's absolutely the family that God wants you to be in. It could still be that, that God knew all along what was going to be happening in your life. And God still wants to bless you. The main point here is that God's love is unmerited, we can't earn it. And regardless of whatever circumstances and situations we're going through, God loves and longs to bless. Okay, that's the second one. The third one we're going to look at, we're going to read the scripture about this, and I'm going to have to walk over here because uh, if I don't, I'm not going to be able to read it to you. Uh, the third mom that we're going to uh, read about is a lady called Hannah. Now, Hannah was the, uh, the mother of Samuel, who was an incredible man of God. So I'm going to stand here. Can you all hear me still? You can see the, uh, the scriptures uh, coming up. So this is, from, this is the whole chapter of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. Um, the first few verses are a bit kind of wordy, but then it's quite a good tale as well. So just listen to this story. There once was a man who lived in Ramathaim. He was descended from the old Zuf family in the Ephraim Hills. His name was Elkanah. He was connected with the Zufs from Ephraim through his father Jeroam, his grandfather Elihu, and his great-grandfather Tohu. He got that, didn't really matter. There was this guy called Elkanah. That's all you need to Elkanah, that's all you need to know. So going on to verse 2. Elkanah had two wives. The first was Hannah, the second was Penina. Penina had children, Hannah did not. 
Every year, this man went from his hometown to Shiloh to worship and offer a sacrifice to, this is a difficult one, God of the angel armies. This is the, the message translation, and that's kind of a, a literal translation, but they just talk about the Lord, okay? He went every year up to Shiloh to offer a sacrifice to God. Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, served as priests of God there. When Elkanah made a sacrifice, he passed helpings from the sacrificial meal around his wife, Penina, and all her children. But he always gave an especially generous helping to Hannah, because he loved her so much, and because God had not given her children. But her rival wife, Penina, taunted her cruelly, rubbing it in, and never letting her forget that God had not given her children. This went on year after year. Every time she went to the sanctuary of God, she could expect to be taunted. Hannah was reduced to tears and had no appetite. Her husband, Elkanah, said, Oh, Hannah, why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? And why are you so upset? Am I not of more worth to you than ten sons? So Hannah ate. Then she pulled herself together, slipped away quietly, and entered the sanctuary. The priest Eli was on duty at the entrance to God's temple in the customary seat. Crushed in soul, Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried inconsolably. Then she made a vow. O oh God of the angel armies, if you take a good, hard look at my pain, if you'll quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a son, I'll give him completely, unreservedly to you. I'll set him apart for a life of holy discipline. It so happened that as she continued in prayer before God, Eli was watching her closely. Hannah was praying in her heart silently. Her lips moved, but no sound was heard. Eli jumped to the conclusion that she was drunk. He approached her and said, You're drunk. How long do you plan to keep this up? Sober up, woman. And I said, oh no, sir, please, I'm, I'm a woman hard used. I have been drinking, not a drop of wine or beer. The only thing I have been pouring out is my heart. Pouring it out to God. Don't for a moment think I'm a bad woman. It's because I'm so desperately unhappy and in such pain that I've stayed here so long. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel give you what you have asked of him. Think well of me and pray for me, she said, and went on her way. Then she ate heartily, her face radiant. But before dawn, they worshipped God and returned home to Ramah. Elkanah slept with Hannah, his wife, and God began making the necessary arrangements in response to what she'd asked, dedicating the child to God. Before the year was out, Hannah had conceived and given birth to a son. She named him Samuel, explaining, I asked God for him. When Elkanah next took his family on their annual trip to Shiloh to worship God, offering sacrifices and keeping his vow, Hannah didn't go. She told her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll bring him myself and present him before God, and that's where he'll stay for good. Elkanah said to his wife, do what you think is best. Stay home until you've weaned him. Yes, let God complete what he has begun. Then she took him up to Shiloh, bringing also the makings of a generous sacrificial meal, a prized bull, flour, and wine. The child was so young to be sent off. They first butchered the bull, then brought the child to Eli. Hannah said, excuse me, sir, would you believe that I'm the very woman who was standing before you 
at this very spot praying to God. I prayed for this child and God gave me what I asked for. And now I've dedicated him to God. He's dedicated to God for life. Then and there they worship God. So that's the, the story of Hannah and Elkanah and uh, their, their firstborn, uh, Samuel. Now, the first thing I need to say is these were, these were different times in the Old Testament. Uh, Elkanah had two wives. I'm really hopeful that no one here is in that type of situation. But it's obvious that Elkanah favoured Hannah as we read it. Uh, she was barren, she was able to have kids, but Elkanah really favoured her. And, and Hannah lived in this house where she was constantly being bullied and picked on by the other wife. The other wife was undoubtedly jealous of her and she was using what she could to have a go at her. A really, really unhappy household again. I think Hannah's an amazing example of a woman who is desperate. She was desperate for a child, but Hannah didn't blame God. That's so important. So often when things go wrong in our lives, it's easy for us to to turn the blame on God. God, why have you allowed this to happen? Why have you done this to me? I don't deserve this. She didn't do any of that. She just trusted simply that God was God. Now she did something that I'm really, really quite uncomfortable with. And it's not something that I recommend that we do ourselves. Because Hannah actually bargained with God. She actually said to God, look, if you give me a son, I'll dedicate him to you. Now, I don't think that's I don't think that's good practice. I've got to say, I don't think the Bible makes it clear in kind of New Testament times and in the days we live in. I don't think God's to be bargained with. But let's be honest, isn't it tempting sometimes to pray those type of prayers? We we somehow think that we can almost bargain with God sometimes, don't we? Have you ever prayed a prayer? Lord, if, if, if you do this, I'll, I promise I'll try and be better, or I'll, I'll try and do this, or, or if, you, if, you, if you give me this, I'll, I'll get up even earlier in the morning to pray, or I'll, I'll read one of the Bibles. You know, we think God's to be bargained with. Somehow, we, we know in our, our heads that that's wrong, but we can't somehow help ourselves. It's almost human nature. Uh, and, and I don't recommend that, and I don't think that that is the way God wants us to be. The Bible makes it absolutely clear that we don't deserve anything but condemnation. And the only reason we can be here is because of what Jesus did for us. And that is absolutely complete and total. And we can't bargain with God, I'm convinced of it. But these were different times. And, and Hannah made this bargain with God. But Hannah also kept her side of the bargain, wouldn't she? Hannah had known the pain of being unable to have a child. But then she also knew the pain of having to, to leave a child and trust him to God and, and leave a child with God and, and say, look, Lord, whatever you want, I'm going to trust him. Now, I think that it's quite probable that she visited him regularly. She certainly went every year because we know that she did that. And, and she knew Eli. Uh, but she left Samuel with Eli in the temple 
at a very, very young age. Now perhaps none of us have kind of made those type of bargains with God, but I'm sure many of us who are parents have had times in our lives where we've had to do nothing other than leave our kids in God's hands. Perhaps physically, stuff's going on that's out of your control, and you just think, Lord, all I can do is, is leave the situation with you. Perhaps your kids are getting involved in stuff that, that you're really anxious and concerned about. And again, all you've felt able to do is leave it in God's hands. Completely turning, just making this personal, turning the, 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 uh, the relationship the other way. About 10 years ago now, uh, when my mum and dad um, called me in one boxing day, called me in Calgary on one boxing day, uh, and at the, in the well into their 80s, uh, told me and Carol that they made a decision that they were going to move out of the, the black country, move to North London, because that's where they felt they needed to be. I really, really struggled with that. It was so difficult. And I just got to the point where a very wise man who some of you will know, just basically spoke to me one day and said, look, you've got to let your parents go and you've got to trust them to God. So I, I kind of experienced it in reverse, just trusting that, that God knew what was happening and just believing that that would be the right thing. There are times where you have to trust God um, and it's not always easy. But God knows your circumstances. He knows if you're desperate to be parents, and I know there are people in the life of our church that, that are longing to be parents and, and nothing's happened for them yet. And God does want to bless them. Now, with Hannah, he blessed her, the Bible tells us, she went on to have other children. She grew up to see her firstborn Samuel um, grow into an incredible man, a godly man, a, a man that God used immensely. And, and she probably was around to see a fair bit of that. Now, I can't promise you that God will answer your prayers in the way he answered Hannah's prayers. Nobody can do that other than God. But I can promise you that God hears our prayers. He may not answer them exactly as we want, but as we've already been singing today, God is for us, not against us. God has perfect plans for us, and he delights in us. And he also delights in giving us the desires of our hearts. He delights in giving us good things. So, this may be difficult for some people, but I just want to say to you that if you've been asking God for something for a long time, don't give up. Don't give up. There's a, there's a parable that Jesus preached about the persistent widow, almost kind of saying that, that sometimes, you know, God doesn't want us just to pray one prayer and he'll answer it straight away. Sometimes God wants us to pray and pray and pray. And I know there are people here that have been praying prayers, possibly for years, that they think God hasn't answered yet. I just want to urge you today and confirm that God will give you the desires of your heart. The Bible promises that. And you may be amazed at the way in which God answers your prayers. You may very well be amazed at the way that God answers your prayers in a different way to the way you want them answered. But that may absolutely exceed your expectations. I'm going to wrap up there with those three 
simple stories, three mums, the Bible tells us about. Three mums, all of which that lived in, in really difficult situations. A mum that experienced a family at war. A mum that lived in a totally dysfunctional family unit. A mum who couldn't have kids, eventually had kids, and then made sacrifices and, and actually had to just trust her kids to God, even though that must have been so difficult. I don't know whether you relate to any of those. I, I'd like to think that most of us perhaps relate to some extent to, to these situations, whether we're moms, dads, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters. We all live in family units. And I think it'd probably be fair to say that no one here lives in a perfect ideal family unit. It's probably stuff that all of us are a bit ashamed about, a bit embarrassed about in our family lives. It's probably all of us that have got stuff that, that you know, that, gosh, you know, John or Peter are pastors of the church, and that's the stuff that goes on behind closed doors. But we're all like that. And today, God is just saying that he has blessed you with the family that he's chosen for you. God has anointed you to be in that place, he's appointed you to be in that place. And actually, however screwed up your family is, you can't hide it from God. You can see that and he knows that. And despite that, I just think the simple message this Mother's Day is God wants to bless you in the circumstances that you find yourselves in. So I'm going to ask Sam and, and the band to come back up. Um, we're going to sing again. If, if you want prayer, we, we can pray with you. Uh, there's loads of room in front of you if you want to come down. And, um, and some people will be down here, Matt and Vince are here. I'll, I'll stay in front. If you want to come for specific prayer, that'd be great. Don't feel you have to. If you just want to respond to God during this song, just take the opportunity to thank God for your moms, thank God for your families, thank God for the situation that you're in, no matter how messed up it may seem. And just trust Him that He's going to bless you in the weeks and the months of life. Thanks again for listening. To hear more of our messages, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel for past preachers. If you feel like you got something out of today's message, why not share it with your friends and spread the good news of Jesus? We are praying for you. We love you. So please, if you need anything at all, check out springschurch.co.uk. God bless.